Ail Pravda Zali Setsa Nesminu. Enlightenment Radio, Rupo VSOMU Svidu. Zed Vami 24 Godini Musiki, Prami Translasi Tarmishtasni Pied Devisan Harista Pied Kasmishtagnoi Podrozi, Tokakom. this time for ultimate radio entertainment worldwide globally broadcasting from somewhere in a bunker in the U.S. because they are looking for us. I understand Putin put out a hit on me. (laughs) I wonder why. This is Enlightenment Radio your station where you're going to get the updated news. There were so many stories happened over the weekend. I've got a, a war that just went on last night that Ukraine won, a battle. And we're updating the news as fast as it comes in, but it was a weekend full of news. Now, I also got word that Iran and uh, Russia had a hand in This Hamas, I wasn't connecting the dots at all. Hamas raid on Jerusalem that Putin wanted a distraction. Putin doesn't care about Hamas. He doesn't care about Jerusalem. He wants to win Ukraine. So he was getting the eyeballs of America off the Ukraine money that we were getting ready to talk about and funnel, and that was going to be our focus in Congress. Well, Putin had a hand in this Iran. He told Iran to pull the trigger. They've been planning this for years. And so they did at the time, right before Congress convened, to allocate the money and the weapons and everything to the Ukraine when you need it the most right now because you've got the Russians on the run. 500,000 Russians are fleeing Crimea at this moment. And Crimea, I've got a news story that Crimea is the, what shall I say, the key to winning the battle. I have an interview. Okay. One second. I'm just going to put that. That's my assistant talking between us. Let us talk a little bit because we're trying to. There's going to be a link any minute now on ukrainethehope.com. And if I talk at this pace, it will be translated in Ukrainian captions. Am I right? Yeah, it's in the uh, burgundy color captions. And the link will take you to a YouTube channel. 
by this time next week, we'll probably be doing more on the YouTube than we will be on the radio. Because even today, the newsreels will be visible on this link sending you to the YouTube channel. You won't just have to listen to them. You get to watch what they're talking about. Am I right, co-producer? Confirm. Okay. <laughs> this is no fly-by-night production. This is top-dollar investment production. And my whole, uh, by the way, my whole mix program just <laughs> split in two, which doesn't matter. We are going to, are we ready to go to newsreel number one? Uh, just one second. You could talk about uh, the weather. I'll uh, talk about the weather. <laughs> I'm uh, just trying to put that uh, in a good format so you could see that. All right. So just bear with all right. I'm going to turn him off for a second. Do you have any music? What we're going to do is we're going to go through uh, a song. What song would that be? I know. Nevertheless, this is the song. Be patient. You're going to get translation in Ukrainian, and you're going to get the visibility.
exclusive interviews with two Russian prisoners. I've got our first report coming from uh, Anya from the uh, Kiev Post, along with the cars playing in the background. Anya, I keep forgetting her last name. That's bad. But here's her first report from the uh, Kiev Post about all these deserters, and uh, she's got an interview with a Russian former POW. i got to restart, Mix. Exclusive interviews with two Russian prisoners of war conducted by Kiev Post appear to confirm reports by Ukrainian intelligence and Western analysts that parts of the Russian army are poorly provisioned, badly motivated, and generally treated as cannon fodder. In one of our previous reports, where we discussed just how bad Russian personnel losses really are, we wondered what is it that motivates Russian men to come to fight in Ukraine. Here we have some answers. I'm Anya Kurzan, a journalist at Kiev Post. Subscribe to our channel for regular updates, exclusive interviews, and explainers. Well, here is what we learned from interviewing two Russian POWs. They see the war as a way out of prison. One of the Russian soldiers Kiev Post spoke to was Sergei, who was serving a seven and a half year sentence for murder. Despite only being two and a half years into his sentence, he was told that if he served in the military for a year, he would get a pardon and be allowed to go back home. Sergei confirmed that the whole fourth military company is comprised of prisoners. They're in it for the money. In our earlier report, we quoted the Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov boasting about very attractive financial conditions. Well, it turns out the scope didn't lie this time, and the contracts are indeed impressive by Russia's standards. In Sergei's opinion, those who aren't joining the military to get out of jail only go for the money. Sergei said that people in Russia are in a desperate situation, and here comes 204,000 rubles a month, which is around 2,200 US dollars. They're unprepared to fight. Throughout the war, there has been a constant stream of reports about Russian soldiers being sent to the front with little or no equipment. This was certainly true for Sergei, who said that his unit was brought to Ukraine and told to dig trenches, 
but the soldiers, some straight out of prison without their own cell phones or adequate clothing, had to buy their own shovels on Ukrainian territory. We had to have something to dig with, he said. We were they didn't give us anything. They just brought us in, threw us out in the woods, and told us to dig. They don't have a very high opinion of Putin. Sergei thought Putin was stupid for launching the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. He also said Putin has to be removed, but suggested it's impossible, saying he's got everybody around him, National Guard, militia, military, he's our king. They are now aware that they've been zombified by propaganda. Viktor is 56 years old and by his own admission can't run and jump. He agreed to sign up to the army on the condition he could be a driver, but things didn't go to plan. Instead of a driver, he was told he would be a cook. Then suddenly he was sent to the front and captured shortly after. Viktor admitted he had been discouraging friends from entering the service. When someone would say they're thinking of going to war, he responded with, don't even think about it. He seems to have realized that he, along with his fellow countrymen, have been, in his own words, zombified. There are zombies on the other side. It's all a painting. I just wanted to be a driver. I didn't really know where I was going, Victor added. They were specifically told to kill themselves rather than surrender. Sergei was told that if captured by Ukrainians, he would be tortured, beaten, and so on. He was told by his superiors that instead of surrendering, he should detonate a grenade, killing himself and anyone nearby. Putin won't let them go, but he won't take them back either. Sergei said that there are guys whose contracts have expired, but the Ministry of Defense won't let them go. Until the war is over, you stay. But even if he did have a chance to go back to Russia, Sergei would rather not because he thinks he could be shot for surrendering. If there is an exchange and I am brought to Russia, the FSB will take me to prison. I'm a prisoner. We can't be trusted with weapons. Maybe we're on our way to blow up all of Russia. Sergei added, they'll shoot me. I don't know what to do. That's it for today. Thank you for watching. I'm Anya Korzen. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, like this video, and leave us a comment. And maybe let us know what would you ask a Russian soldier if you had a chance. And I'll see you next time. Isn't that not scary? They don't give you a gun. Tell you you're not going to fight. Don't worry about it. You're going to be a cook. He, he's out there in the battlefield. He hasn't got a gun. And he can't get away. If he goes back to Moscow, they'll kill him. What does that tell you? There's no loyalty. These people don't want to fight Ukraine. And that's the biggest. The biggest cost of any war is the morale the morale of the enemy. The morale of the enemy is in the gutter. Now, listen to this interview. This is the guy who got the skinny on the uh, Putin using uh, Hamas and Israel as a distraction. This is a good interview. Sorry we're running late on the interviews, but we're doing it. This guy here has got the inside information. Good morning, Chuck. It's great to see you again. Mm -hmm. Good to see you, Jason. Chuck, you used to be a squad leader for SEAL Team 6, and you went on then to advise on counterterrorism issues and other national security concerns for the entire alphabet soup of U.S. national security organizations and agencies. What do you think is going on right now with the Russian army inside of Ukraine? It's important, and I think it's been a little under understated. Uh, Russia has been concentrating its, its military efforts. Their center of gravity has been Bakhmut, and there has been this implicit deadline for 
Russia to capture the city by the 9th of May. That deadline has passed. There have been almost uh, 1,000 Russian casualties in just this one portion of the line. Uh, the failure uh, of Russia to take back Bakhmut by 9 May is going to have a resounding effect on the Russian, the morale of the Russian troops that are operating in that area. Someone has been telling them, give us maximum effort until 9 May and we're going to wrap this up. That did not happen. And that is going to resonate in the morale of Russian forces, not just in Bakhmut, but throughout the zone of conflict. So if that's the case, what do you expect to happen? I expect there to be increased friction between the Wagner Group forces, which operate essentially in the northern sectors of the Bakhmut uh, area, and the Ministry of Defense troops, which are operating in the southern sector of Bakhmut, principally around Ivanovsky. Uh, despite their continued effort, uh, Wagner Group has made very limited... Excuse me. If you'll go to the Ukraine, theheartofhope.com, you can see the Ukraine translation of this interview, okay? Right at the bottom of the Ukraine, heartofhope.com, is the YouTube link to the translation. Might not be in sync, but you'll see the translation. Progress in the urban areas. They have made progress. They are across the Bakhmutka River. They are across several of the major highways and the rail link. But they have been unable uh, to close the loop on, on Ukrainian forces. But more importantly, Russian forces are themselves are going to see that their incredible sacrifices and exertions are amounting to nothing. Because the capture of Bakhmut, which remains a strategically irrelevant location, but even were it captured, it doesn't solve Russia's problem with the, with the Ukrainian bastion at Kachasivyar. So there is nothing to be gained in Bakhmut. And I think increasingly Russian combatants, they're going to see that. And they're going to discover that the general has no clothes. So at this point, if things are so bad, what happens if morale falls apart in the Russian army? What will happen with Prigozhin's people, for instance, in the Wagner group? One of the important things that we're ever going to see, we, we have seen, as, as, as at Vuladar, Russia is increasingly unable to carry out planned defensive operations, in the case of Vuladar, in broad daylight, an operation that took place with some of their better troops uh, in, a, in a planned operation. We know that was a catastrophe. When the morale of your fighters is low, their ability to deal with unexpected surprises on the battlefield, which, by the way, uh, the repeated blows that are going to fall in Ukraine's spring offensive, the ability of those troops to adapt overcome and improvise is extremely limited. So as morale decreases, I see the fighting capabilities of the Russian forces. They will also decrease. And it is extremely difficult to improvise counter-offensive operations. This is, this is something I don't think Russia has the command bandwidth anymore. And certainly as the morale of their fighting troops decreases, we're going to see losses on their side. And I mean territorial losses as well. So you think they could reach a stage where Russian troops or the Wagnerites could refuse to fight or disobey orders? I absolutely see that happening. And especially because you are a Wagner, Wagner combatant. You see your own boss bad-mouthing the general staff, bad-mouthing the Minister of Defense. The cooperation that is necessary 
for Ministry of Defense troops and Wagner troops to be interoperable, there, there's no reason for the Wagner forces to be respectful, to cooperate, to do anything. Likewise, for the Russian Ministry of Defense troops, why are they going to exert themselves to help these people? Uh, it is an absolute disaster in the making. And uh, it, this is going to come to its head, and we're going to see Ukraine take advantage of this on the battlefield. That's where the rubber's going to hit the road. So what are the prospects? What will happen next with Russia? What do you think we should see in the coming months? Well, I don't see Russia learning a lesson or even grasping the tactical situation in Bakhmut. Obviously, in Moscow, a political decision has been made to take the city of Bakhmut. It doesn't change the fact that Bakhmut is strategically and tactically irrelevant. And even if the urban area of Bakhmut should fall to Wagner and MOD forces, it doesn't change the tactical situation that the town of Chasivyar topographically is a bastion. So taking Bakhmut again becomes militarily irrelevant. And Russia is closing in on almost 40,000 casualties in that one city alone. Almost the total losses of America in 10 years of Vietnam. It's, it's staggering, and it has been a tactical blunder of the, of the greatest magnitude. Chuck, that is a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for your service. Jason, thank you. Great to talk to you. Well, there is some inside information you won't get anywhere else but on Enlightenment Radio and on YouTube. So if you go to the UkraineTheHeartOfHope.com, we're trying to line up these interviews. This is frozen now. The screen is frozen. Yeah, well... <laughs> Uh, barkeep, line them up. <laughs> Drinks on the house. How many glitches can you have in one show? All right, so that was a man. The next interview you're going to hear is from the probably the most expert general, retired general on war and warfare. He says Russia absolutely cannot win this war. Now stick around for this guy's expertise who says Russia cannot absolutely win this war. All right? So I'm going to pay a little station. I had a station break, ready? I'm going to play a little station break, a uh, short one here, and then we're going to go to that interview or a song somewhere, and hopefully we'll have some Ukrainian translation. Why can't you all just speak English like everybody else in the world? <laughs> I love y'all. Thanks for being patient. I just want to get the news out. I want you to know that you're winning. You gotta get you gotta get to this Congress. They're a stubborn bunch of idiots. And he said not only our Congress, but right, actually he said number one supplier to count on is Germany. Are you counting on Germany to help you? Oh my God. I'm glad they have that old lady out of there, whoever she was. Trump had to deal with her. What was her name? I don't know. You are in tune to Enlightenment Radio, home of the ultimate knowledge of body, soul, and spirit, and unlimited music 24-7.
Be sure and visit our website at enlightenment-radio.com. There you can journey through the mystical voyage and also view our schedule of programming. Thank you for listening. listening to enlightenment radio along your journey for a purpose to find your mission travel to enlightenment-radio.com there you will discover your highest spiritual path then say goodbye to the milky way where your new kingdom will be awaiting you here's the keys to galaxy 9 fixing the plumbing here the whole studio is flooded the roof is caved in the storm is just pouring down i cannot believe this no i'm just kidding it's sunny it's beautiful i've never seen a more beautiful fall in georgia i've seen some beautiful falls here and then this one because we've never had a frost we've never had a freeze so the leaves are turning slowly in beautiful colors and shapes i'll be able to display that later this week on my youtube channel that has been promised me by my crack staff of engineers both of them on multi-million dollar salaries in the meantime i live off cracker jacks and cookies you know you know what the uh, gourmet soup is ramen ramen gourmet soup that's what I live off of. As these millionaire engineer techs of mine pretend like they know what they're doing, and I cut them a check. <sighs> Enlightenment Radio, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to drive Putin in the end. We will be the driving force that gets rid of Dr. Evil. I swear it. I swear it. Who else is going to go directly to him Personally, go up to his door, knock on his door, and say, Vladimir, it's over. You get out. You've got 30 days to get out and move out of your house. Give him a, an eviction notice. 
Well, I tend to exaggerate. I saw a picture of him. He had so many bodyguards, so many protections around him. Somebody's going to get him. Somebody is going to get him. And I don't know who it's going to be, but I just saw a perfect song by Bob Dylan, Things Have Changed. Sitting on the Moon would be a good one. That's where I'd rather be right now, sitting on the moon. But you know what? There's this thing in life called what we do as human beings. We compare ourselves to others. Now, if the other disc jockey runs a perfect show, perfect everything and timing and signs off, I can't compare myself to him. I never will because I'm never going to be that perfect disc jockey. And I'm not even a disc jockey. I'm a mystic guy. I cannot compare myself to others who present the news in such a way that is slanted toward their agenda. I cannot do that. We are seeking the truth in our endeavors to get the truth out so that the truth will prevail. Remember our theme song, The Eyes of Truth Are Always Upon You? They're watching us. God is watching us. He doesn't look at your imperfections, though, but he does want you to stay in line with the truth. And that's what we're trying to do is enlighten people. That's what we're trying to do. Well, Bob Dylan used to sing sing songs about protest, about the wars. He used to care. He used to care about our country. Like millions of Americans used to care about our country. Now they've sold out. They've been completely sold out by the propaganda of the left-wing news, the universities, the schools, the politicians, the news media, Everybody has sold America out. They want to join this new global, nice, elite club. The corporations on Wall Street are all in on it. Bill Gates thinks he's a medicine man, thinks he's a doctor. He's over there giving shots to millions of Africans that are killing him in order to do his population control bit. That's his contribution. He wasn't even a software engineer. You know, he stole everything from Steve Jobs. He didn't have Windows. He had DOS. He had a language in DOS. And all you could see were a bunch of letters. And he stole... When he said Microsoft Windows, Steve Jobs had the Windows. He stole them from Steve Jobs, took him to court. After five years, the court decided, nah, he didn't do it. Biggest misjustice. The courts are still slanted. Now they've got our former president. (laughs) Can you believe this? Our former president has been railroaded to going to court because he inflated the values of his properties in order to get a loan in order to get a head, in order to get a building, in order to prosper, in order to grow, in order to do whatever. But it's not against the law. Everybody does it. He paid everybody off with interest. Nobody got hurt. It happens everywhere. I used to be a loan manager. I used to be into real estate. I used to do all of that stuff. Everybody does it. There's no law against it. And this is the only court case ever in history where they've taken a man to court for doing such a thing. They want him to be mocked. They want him to be belittled so he cannot run for president because they know if he runs again, he will be successful. We were the most largest exporter of oil and energy in the world. We had the lowest influx of migrants over the border ever in our history. We had the lowest unemployment ever in our history among women, blacks, and every ethnicity. We had the lowest taxes corporate taxes ever in our history. We were getting ready to blow past 
Everybody. We had all the NATO allies paying their fair share. He stood up at that NATO meeting with cojones and said, are you paying this? Are you paying? Now they're starting to pay their fair share. I'm so many years old, I won't give that away. But I, he's the greatest president we've ever had in my generation, and they're trying to destroy him. And all there are people who were at that protest meeting on January 6th after he was denied the election. They've been in prison, in jail, in a cellar without bail, without a lawyer, without any constitutional right. Now, how long can this go on? How long can this go on? Where are the protesters? Where are the Bob Dylans of their time? Where are you, Bob? Because Bob says, I don't care anymore. You listen to a song and you can hear it. the 
Bob Dylan had it right back in his day. He cared about protests, about the wars, about people dying in the wars. Let me go turn that. That's an air conditioner. Let me have it. So now people, things have strange things have changed, and I don't care. It's because there are people so far sold out. They are so sold out to their left-wing communist. Luciferian agenda, I call them Democrats, liberals, that's what they are. I don't care what they think I say. I know they're Luciferians. They're the, uh, what do you call it, the party of death? Kill a baby even after, a, after it's born? How, how, how radical can you get on abortion? I'm not going to get on abortion topics. Those are losing topics. However, I'm going to play that new Beatles song.
this next guy says we cannot lose the war to Russia. Impossible. Listen to this interview. Even the guy that interviews him is hard to understand. I don't know what language he is. But let's do this interview. This is a retired general. He knows what he's talking about. He says Crimea is the key to winning the war, and we can do it, and Russia cannot win this war. We're with Ukraine for as long as it takes. What a totally empty statement. That means nothing. As long as Turn the arrow. That's oxygen for the Kremlin. Crimea is the only thing that matters. If, if Ukraine liberates Crimea, then it's over. If Russia attacks again, uh, U.S. Uh, should step in. Yeah, we've been prepared to do that since 1949. I see everything moving positively for Ukraine. I see no bright spots on the horizon for Russia. None. Except... Ben, happy to uh, have you with us. And uh, first of all, let me ask you a simple question. Will Ukraine win? Yes, of course Ukraine is going to win. But we see that uh, our counteroffensive is not that fast. Of course, we in Ukraine we do believe that it leads to victory. But does everyone in Europe and in the U.S. believe that Ukraine is definitely winning? So I think people misunderstand what the counteroffensive is. It's not just what we see on the ground and fighting in trenches and minefields. That's only the land component of a much larger, very sophisticated counteroffensive, what NATO calls multi-domain. That's what Ukraine is doing. Air, land, sea, cyber, information, special forces, all of these things are being done, integrated in a way that gives Ukraine the initiative and also puts enormous pressure on the Russian general staff. I, I would say that the Ukrainian general staff is running rings around the Russian general staff. This attack on Crimea over the last four weeks, all of these things together, this was not a coincidence. This was a very sophisticated approach to remove radar, to attack and destroy a logistics uh, maintenance site, and then to destroy the headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet. This is all part of making Crimea untenable for the Russian forces. That's the key to victory. I remember, and you definitely uh, were asked about that, I remember that earlier on you were much more optimistic. Uh, there were prognoses that uh, by the end of this year Ukraine will retake southern territories and probably Crimea. I believed that Ukraine would liberate Crimea by the end of this summer. Um, but as you will recall, I always had the caveat if the West provides everything that's needed. I, we didn't. Um, and so I was wrong in my estimation that the U.S. administration and the German government would have decided to, to give to Ukraine the long-range weapons that it needed, uh, the capabilities that were needed. I, I, was, I was wrong. I, I was sure that my president by now would have said, we want Ukraine to win. And for them to win, they need all of this. And we haven't done that yet. Of course, we cannot uh, dig into president's head, uh, but uh, he definitely based uh, his assessment on, on a complex of, of different factors. H how do you see what is preventing Western leaders, including President Biden, to provide Ukraine the needed weaponry? Yeah, my president has done a very good job on so many, in so many ways 
to help keep the 50 plus nations together. Uh, and of course, what the U.S. has provided is, is not inconsequential, but he has failed to do what I think is the most important task, which is to describe what is our objective? What, what do we want the outcome to be? Um, instead, what I hear is, you know, we're with Ukraine for as long as it takes. What, what a totally empty statement. That means nothing, as long as what takes. Uh, and so my president has got to say, we want Ukraine to win. We want Ukraine to eject Russia back to the 1991 borders. What is the reason? Is he just afraid or it's a different matter? Um, I think that not only him, but people around him, and these are good, smart, hardworking, intelligent people, uh, but they, most of them are the same ones that were wrong about Russia during the Obama administration. And so they, they haven't changed their thinking that, number one, that Russia could even be defeated. They don't believe it. And then number two, they don't know... They're, They, they worry about escalation, of course. I think excessive worry, but they worry. Uh, then number three, um, I think they're not sure what happens when Ukraine has catastrophic success and uh, Russian forces are defeated and then maybe the regime collapses. What, what happens? I think those are the things that are in their mind, and they, they can't or haven't answered that yet. To me, it shows a complete lack of understanding of war, a lack of understanding of Ukraine, and a lack of understanding of Russia. So uh, do they believe that Russia can be defeated? I, I do. I don't think they do. What is the reason? They believe that it's, it's that strong, or are they just afraid of, of what? I think that, well, again, these are smart, intelligent, hardworking, good people, all right? But I think many of them have always had this idea that somehow the Soviet Union, now Russia, is just too big and it's too powerful and they can just keep absorbing punishment and they have thousands of nuclear weapons. That's, I think that's the image. And so the idea that Ukraine could somehow defeat Russia um, for them is, is can't, can't get their head around it. For me, It is obvious that Ukraine is going to defeat Russia. We know from, his, from history that war is a test of will and it's a test of logistics. And I see everything moving positively for Ukraine. I see no bright spots on the horizon for Russia, none, except when they hear us talk about, uh, You know, we, we hope Ukraine can have a strong negotiating settlement or come on, Ukraine, let, let Russia have Crimea for the sake of peace. This kind of nonsense, that's oxygen for the Kremlin. Regarding Crimea, do you believe that uh, in current situation when the West and, and the United States do not provide to Ukraine all the needed weapons but provide some of it, is that possible to retake Crimea militarily? That, that to me, that only prolongs the conflict and so many more people get killed, so much more destruction, when it really could be over much faster if, if the U.S. and Germany in particular would say, we want Ukraine to win. Here, take, this is what you need, take this. Crimea is the only thing that matters. If, if Ukraine liberates Crimea, then it's over. The Donbass, I don't think Russia cares 
a drop about Donbass, except because it is the land bridge from Rostov to Krim. That's, I think that's the only reason. They've done nothing to improve Donetsk and Luhansk since they've controlled it, nothing, except grab men and put them in the military. They've done nothing to improve those occupied territories. And even Crimea, they need it as a military base that uh, led them to control the Black Sea. Yeah, and, and I think that the, that the Ukrainian general staff, which has been brilliant in this war, uh, understands that Ukraine will never be safe or secure as long as Russia occupies Crimea. They'll never be able to really rebuild their economy as long as Russia occupies Crimea and can disrupt shipping from Odessa, Kherson, Mykolaiv, or block ships coming in and out of Azov. Even after Kherson and uh, Berdansk are liberated, the Russians will still block Azov Sea. So that's why they can I don't see how Ukraine can accept a solution and nor why Okay, right now if you go to Ukraine theheartofhope.com, you can see this guy's total permanent pre, pre, what do you call it, his strategy that Russia cannot win this war. It cannot take advantage of this, and it cannot win the war without Crimea, and that Crimea is the key. I want you to see this in Ukrainian language. Go to the bottom of Ukraine, theheartofhope.com, and click the YouTube link and look at it in Ukraine language. We're getting there. Okay. Any of us should push a solution where Russia keeps Crimea. What do we need militarily? Uh, you refer to uh, uh, long-range missiles. Probably it is not the only. Uh, and uh, let me clarify uh, my question. I remember well that uh, in the beginning of uh, of this big war, uh, we have heard plenty of times that we need tanks. Then we will have uh, several hundred tanks, and it will change. Uh, a situation. Uh, tanks are being provided, and it, it appeared that it's not enough because the Russians uh, can use lancets and uh, yeah. minefields. Okay, so this has been the problem. There's been so much emphasis on specific platforms F 16, uh, ATACMs, tanks, Patriot, dot, dot, dot. All of these are important, but there is no one weapon that changes everything. It's the effects of a combination of weapons that are properly employed. And so that's why I choose, I prefer to talk about capabilities. What capability does Ukraine need to win? So you have to back up, well, how do they win? Ukraine wins by liberating Crimea. So what do you need to liberate Crimea? You need to have forces that can isolate Crimea, cut the land bridge, cut Kerch Bridge, and then make Crimea untenable for Russian forces. Make it where the Black Sea Fleet cannot stay in Sevastopol. The Russian Air Force cannot stay in Saki. Uh, Russian logistics cannot stay in Zhankoi. For that, you need long-range weapons that can hit every day Sevastopol, Saki, every day so that they have to leave. I heard the Sakur General Cavoli recently said that precision can defeat mass. The only advantage the Russians have is mass. That's it. And they don't care how many of their people get killed. So you have to neutralize mass by destroying headquarters, 
destroying logistics, destroying artillery. You need long-range precision fires to do that. So whether it's a TACOMS, Taurus, Storm Shadow, Gray Eagle drone, uh, ground launch, small diameter bomb, I don't care. You need that capability to hit those things. If you do that and you have enough, then the Russians cannot stay there. But I do believe it could be over next year if the U.S. Look, Putin is going to keep doing this until he realizes he is lost. When it's in his head, I've lost or I'm losing, then he'll have to stop and he'll change the narrative. Or he can use the nuclear weapon. Okay, look, that's, let me come to that. So the way we make him realize he's lost is when 50 nations say, including the United States, Germany, UK, France, we want Ukraine to win. It's our policy that Ukraine is going to win. Then, then you're, and, and then when he sees us do all this, then he knows. But right now, he sees that we are not committed to Ukraine winning. So he just has to hang on. Uh, yes, of course, um, you have to take the nuclear threat serious. They have thousands of nuclear weapons. He doesn't care how many people die, including his own people. He doesn't care. So why would he use a nuclear weapon? I don't think he will. There's no benefit. There's zero benefit to Russia if they use a nuclear weapon. Ukraine has already said, we're not stopping. And my president has said, if you use nuclear weapon, catastrophic consequence for Russia. I think they believe him. President Xi has said, do not use nuclear weapons. And I think the people around Putin are looking at him and saying, he's 70 years old. What about their life after him? So I'm not so sure that everybody in Moscow or St. Petersburg would support the idea of him using a nuclear weapon. And of course, we're talking about tactical nuclear weapons, not strategic. Tactical nuclear weapons require a lot of people to follow orders to do things. And, and uh, we, we would see, we would know if they were beginning that process. So I think for the Russians, their nuclear weapons really are only, are most effective when they don't use them because they, they cause all of us to hesitate. So it means that uh, even if uh, Putin becomes that much crazy that he decides that, well, he's 70 and he does not care, we have to make a final strike, some people will stop this process. I think so. And what we should be doing, we should be, um, all the people that are around, we know who they are. I mean, we, I think Ukrainians know who are the people that keep Putin in power, right? They should see their face in newspaper, on billboards, everywhere, saying, we know that you have influence. And you can be sure, after this is all over, you can decide now, are you going to continue to enable Putin? Or do you want to be sitting in a box, like in the Nuremberg trial, at your, at your in The Hague? So don't allow people to feel like they can do things with impunity, as if there's no consequence for them if they continue to support Vladimir Putin or help him do this. To finalize, let's talk about NATO shortly. Uh, I would say that we have lost in Vilnius, unfortunately. The invitation could be provided, but it wasn't. Uh, 
do you believe that it's possible to have uh, an invitation of Ukraine uh, to join NATO, or at, let's say at Washington summit? It is possible. Uh, and in fact, I, I think it's more possible now than it was a year ago. Um, I think the language has changed, that the mood sort of changed at Vilnius, even though we didn't get the invitation that we had hoped for for Ukraine. It's like the uh, we've gotten over a hurdle emotionally and intellectually. So um, I think now what we've got to do is separate invitation from accession. Yeah. In Vilnius, the conversation was all about if Ukraine is invited to join NATO, we'll be immediately be in a war. No, that's not true. Of course it's not. But yet that came from the American National Security Advisor. So we have got to work hard on the language to make it clear. I mean, look at Sweden. Sweden was invited over 18 months ago. And they're still months away. So there's an example already of a country that was invited, and they're on the path, which would be a very important signal to Ukraine, but also to Russia, that Russia does not get to choose. And then we work on the accession part. Some people say that even if, or not if, but when Ukraine wins, for, for the United States, maybe it's not the best option to provide Ukraine with finally membership, because that means that uh, if Russia attacks again, uh, U.S. Uh, should step in. Yeah, we've been prepared to do that since 1949, when any member was attacked. So the best, the best way to make sure Russia doesn't attack is for Ukraine to be in NATO. I think Russia, um, as terrible as they are, they do not want to commit suicide which would be an attack on NATO, that would be suicide for them. And so I, I think uh, um, the, my, my country needs to get behind this. This, is, this will improve security and stability in Europe much better than what it is now by having Russia see that because of what they've done, they now have NATO from Finland to Turkey, all the way, and in the Black Sea that we need to have a strategy for the Black Sea region. Stop talking about Ukraine like it's an island, but instead talk about Ukraine as part of a region that is strategically important for the West, and Ukraine being uh, a member of NATO, Ukraine, Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, and then who knows, Moldova and Georgia, at least inside the EU. Um, that, that would change the security dynamic historically, and for, for generations. And you believe that it will happen? Yes. Thank you very much for uh, the interview. Thank you very much for believing in Ukraine. And let's hope that it will happen sooner than later. Ukraine will definitely win. They will.